0: He gone back and forth a couple of rounds with these questions. And toward the end, he, you know, laid his final defense with look, the practice of law is a plantation system, and you're all very well paid. So the the, the punch in the stomach for me was um, unfortunately, I was looking at my newly acquired Rolex at the moment that he said that, because I wondered when lunch was. And as that that, that visual was just you know, As I'm looking at the new Rolex, uh, and he said that, and that register, that punch in the gut uh, kind of registered like, oh yeah, here's the evidence, he's right.
1: Welcome to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Stop financializing everything. What is true wealth? What's the right metric for success? Much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is a good measuring stick. But can you really quantify success with a bank balance? Or should we include softer things, like learning and love, generosity and gratitude, and happiness and well-being? Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Mindful Wealth Podcast. In this part two of our discussion with Paul Knowlton and Aaron Hedges, we get a little bit more into some of their ideas about economic mutuality, as opposed to what they describe as the plantation system drawing from their book, Better Capitalism. Please enjoy this conversation with Aaron and Paul.
2: Paul, you said you are an attorney and I know that you're both, uh, you both have MDivs, right? Uh, Master of Divinity. Mm -hmm. And Paul, in the book, you explain a moment in your career, your early uh, moment in your legal career when you were an associate and a partner at your law firm explained, Mm -hmm. this is a plantation system. First, ugly term, full stop. Uh, uh, Second, can you tell us what he meant and how that affected your path?
0: Yeah, good. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, so, so I've been transparent about that story, starting with the book, because it was such a powerful moment for me. Um, we were uh, in a in a what's called a you know, uh, M-Law 200 firm, a, a large law firm. We were having an annual meeting. The associates had come in from all around. And we were given the happy news by the managing partner that the the, the partnership had uh, given us all raises. And anybody who spent a few minutes in a law firm or others, maybe a CPA firm, uh, after your billable hours, well, I'm sorry, after your uh, salary gets increased, you know, your billable hour requirements are going to get increased. So um, a number of us, this- Associates, those who were, were there mostly long before I was, uh, started to raise hands, right? It's like, you know, thank you for the salary. We really don't want the additional income. You can keep it. We'd like to not increase our hours. We're already putting in 1,800 or so hours. And that's billable hours. To get 1,800 billable hours out, you got to put in twenty one or 2,200 hours. So that's literally the 80 to 100 hour uh, um, a week, uh, an hour a week. So he'd gone back and forth a couple of rounds with these questions. And toward the end, he you know laid his final defense with, look, the practice of law is a plantation system, and you're all very well paid. So the, the, the punch in the stomach for me was, um, unfortunately, I was looking at my newly acquired Rolex at the moment that he said that, because I wondered when lunch was. And as that, that, that visual was just you know, as I'm looking at the new Rolex, uh, and he said that, and that register, that punch in the gut, uh, kind of registered like, oh yeah, here's the evidence, he's right. And 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 I had this sense right then, Jonathan, that he and and Terry, he was not talking about the American slavery system. He was not talking about that offense. This was something bigger. I didn't understand it at the moment, but it was something bigger. This was a smart attorney. I knew him to be very well read. Um he is a corporate attorney um and 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 just a smart guy but that's not what he meant he meant something bigger and that so that led me into un, kind of unpacking over the years what did he mean by that and then i came to understand this is a short term for just exploitation at sort of every level so you could you can have a plantation system where you're you're literally abusing the land or the minerals the uh the the crops uh, the people any any way you want to kind of couch uh, an economically abusive system is how we're framing this partnership economics yeah yeah so that was quite a a punch in the nose at the you know and and, and gut at the same time was that is what led us to that and then also then you know obviously was the was the we incorporated in the title of the book, and then we unpacked that so that people don't think that this was a race-based uh, issue or a race-based kind of consideration. It wasn't. In fact, uh, I'm first-generation Cuban, um, and, and I was probably one of the, though there were a few other potentially minorities in that group, we were all pretty much really white. I mean, that was not, you know, so, so that was, the, the, helped me also understand that this concept of plantation economics, that is universal uh, it really
3: is. Right. And, and even those who may appear to be like at the top, of the ladder mean an attorney, right. Is a, that's a high end professional people who are admired, you know, that's how deep it goes. Right. That's, that's what Paul's story always makes me think of, you know, even, even there, we think of this elevated lofty spot, this exploitative mindset, you know, is is so pervasive, you know,
0: in in a way too, if there can be some sympathy for this particular partner, uh, He's trapped in that system also. He had other people at the partnership table, which he may or may not have agreed with. I don't know, but he's the one who got to deliver the message and he's the one who got to get the pushback from the associates. And um, so so I think we're all trapped, whether we recognize it or not. We're we're all trapped in this system Uh, until we can
2: pull ourselves down. I think the image of you looking at your Rolex waiting for lunch when you get the get that message, sort of sums that up. We are all trapped in this exploring system.
0: My my little you know my little handcuff right there. Yes.
2: Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Terry.
1: Um. Okay. So if now we're gonna shift gears a little bit, and you know, I think you've laid out for us, um, you know, the idea of mutual benefit and uh, plantation economics, and then you kind of move to talk about the form you would like to transition out of, what we're moving towards. Could you maybe define that for us briefly and tell us about the basic tenets of partnership economics?
2: Sure.
3: Yeah. I mean, one way we sum it up is, um, you know, that the ethic is to, well, in a corporate sense, to sustain profitability for all stakeholders. Um, It's a pretty short definition, but everywhere kind of counts, you know, sustain Profitability, yes, profitable, yeah, and for all stakeholders. And so it doesn't have to be at odds with the Friedman thing we've talked about, but it does at least have a different emphasis on, uh, you know, it's not maximizing, right, but sustaining profitability um, for all stakeholders. So that we could unpack that more, but in a, in a corporate sense, in a nutshell, that's, that's how we would articulate a partnership corporate ethic. And, and coupled with that is this
0: both and perspective of interest. So it's not my interest solely and it's not your interest solely. It's not the distorted Ayn Rand view and it's not the distorted Jesus view. It's self and other. So I need to have uh, really ideally, if we want to think about a, Adam Smith's construct of the impartial spectator. It's that person standing off to the side as you and I negotiate a deal, and how is that person viewing our negotiation? Is everyone in a better position when that deal's over, or is one side clearly, you know, uh, overweighted, right? Is one side clearly at advantage and the other's at a disadvantage? We want to see this shift in thinking. We want to see this shift in theological thinking um because from that perspective from our theology from our philosophy you know everything flows right our our our, our words our actions and the consequences thereof it. and so that that partnership economics hopefully we we think the words clear enough but i need to have my my need in mind and i really do need to have the other person's need in mind hopefully both people are transparent enough that we can have that open dialogue about needs and interests and and how we can mutually benefit each other Um, that will take some time right that's an individual challenge person to person about being transparent Um, and and trust that's a big word these days in leadership and management right and and trust in all different levels of the organization Uh, we offer a little litmus test in in the book it's it's um uh, three pieces, uh, th- th- three elements of our litmus test for trust. Is the other person uh, transparent? Do they typically make good decisions? Most days, most of the time. And uh, do they have my interest at heart? They don't have to agree with me. Eventually, they don't have to do, make a deal with me, right? They don't have to deal with me if they, they don't want to. But if we're going to deal with each other, do they at least have my interest at heart? Or do they have a cannibalist lust to steal a line from Ram? We want to help change that ethic. So that's that leads us to the plantation model.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry, but away from the plantation model. Away to the from, uh, yeah, away.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, like, what are you know? This like, I think this is a good like high level definition of what you're talking about. But like, what are some of the levels? Like maybe like the levers. Sorry, like if I could be practical, like what are some of the things that like one could tangibly do um, to move in that direction?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of other- we could do some starters there's so much more to be done we try to kind of address it in you know four different economic arenas i guess Uh, you know the business arena the arena of professions the arena of government which has a part to play it's not everything but a part to play economically and then culturally um you know all these things bear on how economics happen um and uh, we could get even more specific on some of those uh, you know the cultural one is maybe a place to start it, it's uh, it's a hard place to start because it's a very uphill climb but uh we uh, we're persuaded by the peter drucker thing that uh you know culture eats strategy for breakfast and uh, certainly a lot of other business leaders have echoed that and so you, you can have whatever policies you want but you know people are going to do what the culture of their company or of their nation suggests um And part of that goes back to the idea of enough, you know, and culturally, is enough something that we value, you know, or is that a virtue, you know, to have enough, or do we just want more and more and more, you know. Um, Another cultural aspect that, that, you know, we harp on somewhat in the book uh, is this idea that we are they, you know, it's so easy to point fingers, um, Oh, you know, those politicians, right what a mess they are making you know those ceos of those big corporations you know what they're just doing things terribly but you know we are in a democracy and so whoever is in office you know we the people collectively put them there yeah doesn't mean every single one of us voted for everyone that won but uh instead of pointing the finger we might need to kind of look in the mirror and say yeah what what is our part in this you know are we electing good people are we even getting good candidates into the election you know so that there are good choices when the election comes around you know that's that's a cultural thing that uh, uh, it's not they right it's we we are they Um, and with corporations i think culturally we we just have this we're we're very far from what it should be culturally but i remember the first time that i read in a corporate governance book that corporations are owned by the shareholders. Uh, It's like, wait, what? (laughs) You know, that blew my mind because I thought the CEOs owned the corporations. And when you read business news, that's what it sounds like, you know? And, And you could probably look on business news today and say, oh, the CEO such and such gave shareholders a chance to meet with him or her. That's so backwards. The shareholders are the owners. The CEO works for the shareholders. But we don't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. We, we've made an idol out of the CEO who, you know, is this, you know, philosopher king who the conqueror of all things, you know, but they're an employee of the shareholders. But again, it's so easy to point the finger and, you know, in my email, when I get a chance to vote on the companies that I invest in, do I even do that? You know, it's so easy to do, that. most people don't vote on shareholder proxies when we get them in the mail or email. So there's some mindsets there culturally where it's oh that's us oh, oh I I'm a part owner of Google, <laughs> you know I'm a part owner of Exxon um, and most of us are whether through individual investing or through our four hundred one k if you own an index fund. It, it's not it's not they but but we are in fact the owners of these corporations that it's so easy to complain about.
2: So uh, I mean Aaron is 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 individual um, ambition inherently part of plantation economics or you know can i can i seek personal wealth and personal advancement and achievement and fit that into a model where i mean it sounds like you're suggesting we really have to check our own and I, and i don't disagree with you i'm not saying i disagree but we have to check our own ambitions how do how do we then also pursue that ambitions in partnership economics
3: yeah that's a great question and uh... Uh, agree with what paul said that it's a both end um you know it's it's um where do my interests also align with somebody with whom i could do business you know i could i could make an exchange i could build a company let's say i'm the owner of a company Uh, i want the company to be profitable and maybe i need employees who are happy you know to, to then have a profitable company so it um in a holistic sense, it's both. Um, it's both. Um, another question I like to ask is, you know, kind of in light of the Milton Friedman ethic, if you want to maximize profit, you know, when you know, when are you talking about? Um, because if you mean like right this moment, well, let's liquidate the company and maximize profit. That's not what almost anybody means when they say, you know, they want to be valuable when they retire or when their kids go to college or or whenever, you know, some, if, unless it's this exact moment, any point in the future that you want to have value means you got to work with other people. You, you have to align um, so that value exists beyond the present moment. Um, and so it, it just involves zooming out a little bit. It, it's, it's not one or the other. It's not negating. It's just how, how is my part of it, part of something a little bigger than me that, can in fact benefit me. I would say should benefit me, along with other people now uh, and into my future and into their future.
0: And, and I'd like to add to that uh, the, the additional thought: the, um, the the idea of of rewarding the CEO or rewarding the visionary, right? So. Jonathan, we don't want to hold back anybody who's got a vision for building and for driving, right? We we need builders, we need the we need the, the visionaries of the world. So so give them the support they need, give them the tools they need. There's there's not holding back on them, and they shouldn't be held back. Um the, the, the ethic though for them needs to be early on it's not about them only, right? They, they can't do all that that they want to accomplish of and by themselves. They've got to get other people involved. It's back to the object lesson, we're all here in the same world. So, so th- th- there's a balance here where they've got to recognize that, okay, even if they're out front, even if they're the leader, um, they don't get all of the rewards because really they're not taking all of the risks they're taking some of the risk, but they're not taking all of the risk. So uh, a tech company here in Atlanta, um, sold not too long ago, a, a, a well-known name, um, the, the two founders or three founders maybe cashed out with more money than they'll need for generations. Uh, and I have a friend who works there and I thought, oh great, he's gonna get a nice little you know bump for this sale. He got very little. uh, behind the scenes, apparently a a significant number of the employees went to those two founders and, um, the two founders reconsidered how much they were keeping and how much they were not distributing among the the rest of the people who built that company. And and so there was a new redistribution of, of funds, right? But, but that, that they got the, 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 the founders at some point flipped the switch, uh, and, and, and their ethic became, okay, we're not in all this, we're not all in this together, we're all in it for me, right? And, and, and we need to guard against that. So the visionaries, the builders, uh, they need to guard against that maybe natural tendency to be selfish about what's on the table. Um, I'll stop with that, but it's, there's a balance there. There's, there's, there's a balance. It, it doesn't, we're not, we're not, we don't have to vilify anybody who's at the front, if they're handling well the distribution of all the, of all the uh, uh, benefits. And they can, they, can, they can have the biggest share, but let's not make it like the 99% of the share, right? It, 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 it can be a better balance than what we're doing culturally. Also, if I can go on one more second, Terry, about, about what maybe what we can do right now in the culture, two things I can think of is we can stop idolizing the very rich believe from them if they're rich and they made it in, 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 in fair terms. Right. Um, and um, but, but we don't have to just make them the only idols or even make them idols. Right. We can we can dial back on that because that's not the only reward in life. We can find other ways to um, celebrate people in, in, in their various roles. Uh, one very specific example I can give is in, at least in the legal profession, which something mystifies me: is why do we publish? We, we do. We publish annually the profits per partner (PPP). And and uh, it, 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 honestly, it just mystifies me why. If I were if I were a an in-house counsel at a were one of my clients, one Fortune 500 clients that I, I have a number of. If I were in-house counsel for that, I would be going down that list, and if any of those people worked for me, I'd probably be taking them off the list because they're making too much money. They're making several times more than I am, and it becomes an internal horse race between the the partners, and that trickles down downstream to the associates who are told, you know, it's a plantation system. You're all paid very well. So that's again why I'm all publishes that, I've just got no idea. They need to stop
1: it. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. I'm, I'm going to try to um, reframe something that uh, we actually just had on a, on a previous episode very recently by, um, uh, I'm going to try to do this, but I'm sure I'm going to have trouble doing with it. it. It's that like people, like we have um, something that can be personally worthwhile for me if I do it. So for example, take the uh, entry level, like the entry tests, SATs or, or GREs and stuff like that, right? Like there's this whole industry of people sitting at home preparing for those tests and the system rewards those who spend an incredible amount of time preparing for it. But ultimately it's kind of wasteful. Like it's a lot of effort that goes into something that's kind of like a false, false system. And that like, The best thing for me to do within that system is to work like crazy on the GRE, but is it a good thing for us as a society to invest a lot of energy in having that? Well, that's a a different question, right? And so like, I wonder how much of these uh, external markers and some of these things that we pursue is that we have these selfish interests because humans do have selfish interests and that the problem is that when we all pursue them, it ends up creating an environment that's not good for anyone. But individually, it's better for me to pursue those things because it's going to comparatively help me get ahead. And that that creates like kind of a systemic thing like that. And so I wonder, like, I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but, you know, do you think that there's maybe that there's a systemic thing that we need to change there? Or is it a question of me just deciding and being like, okay, I'm going to not write the GRE? Right. Because like, that's the problem. If I'm going to be the one grad student who doesn't write the standardized test because I think it's a bad system, then ultimately in that system, I'm going to be the big loser. So do you think it's a systemic think decision we all have to make? Or is it something that the individual takes upon themselves?
3: Yeah, it's a great I mean, it's a great question. And uh, without being a cop out, I think it is both. Uh, I mean, there are individual things we can and should do differently. And there are systemic things that tilt us in certain directions as well. Um, I mean, what you're describing is like the prisoner's dilemma right hey if everybody works together we will all get out but that requires you to trust that everybody will work together and and it just breaks down right well but i'm going to do my thing i'm going to take care of me and then nobody gets out so that that's uh, unfortunately kind of writ large in certain forms of capitalism um charlie munger talks about a similar thing he gave an address uh, this was decades ago now but to a group of money managers. So Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's longtime business partner, right? Brilliant business mind, a multi-multi-billionaire. And he is one who speaks his mind pretty candidly. He just says things without, he just says things But So he was talking to money managers and he said, I was a bad example. Young Charlie M- Munger is a bad role model because he was trading, you know? And so it's like trading, like, like uh, studying for the GRE. Hey, I'm gonna, there's a pot out there you know, there's so many seats at this college. I'm going to try and get one of those. You know, there's a certain amount of money in this market. I'm going to try and get more of it over here from my firm. Um, and he says we, uh, too much of the nation's young ethical brain power is going into things that don't create value. And he's talking to money managers. So again, he's, I mean, he's stepping on toes, but um, yeah, just this, this t- clamoring over a zero sum pie, I guess, is ultimately not creating value. So whether it's, yeah, certain number of admissions at a school, certain number of dollars in the market, uh, you're just trading back and forth again, and that, uh, that's a frictional cost. Hey, same number of students would have gotten admitted even if none of them studied in advance, but if they just showed up and took it, like right? same number of students get in, that's a waste. Um, so we, we don't believe that the world is a zero something. We think value can be added, value can be created with innovation, with creativity, with entrepreneurship. And, and there should be individual incentives to do exactly that. Hey, spot an opportunity and go for it. You know, Find the value that's there and bring others along with you. But it, it requires a mindset shift. I, I think you know in sports, somebody wins and somebody loses and that mentality gets into us. Think, well, I don't wanna lose, I wanna win, which means somebody else has to lose. That, mm-hmm. That's just kind of deeply ingrained in our, our habits, our thought patterns. But when we can see, hey, I can win and you can win, so much better, and it's not uh, it's not pie in the sky. Uh, it's hard, but it but it has been demonstrated throughout some centuries of capitalism that wow, you know there have been things that have created immense amounts of value and uh, well. So I guess I'm kind of rambling here, but I'd say you know if you have a grow the pie mentality, great. Not I want this piece, no, I want that piece, no, I want that piece. Hey, grow the pie. You know there can be a bigger value that uh, that does generate value for me. And others, if we if we have that as the intention to begin with. So again, I'm rambling, but you asked about systemic. Yeah, we need that systemically too, which comes back to us: who are we voting for? Are we even paying attention to their economic proposals? A lot of things get in the news come election time. How many of them are you know economically related? Uh, that just takes some work and some effort, um, but it's the work we need to do if we want people in office who then make policies. That create a grow the pie scenario, as opposed to, well, mm-hmm. oh, I'll I'll cut taxes for this group, and then the other party gets, well, I'll cut them for the other group. That's just trading back and forth. You know, it's not uh, it's not looking at the whole in a way that moves us all forward. Uh,
0: not to disagree, with, I'm not disagreeing with anything Aaron said, and and, and uh, I hope I don't regret not giving this more thought, Terry. But as somebody who has suffered through the GRE, the LSAT. <laughs> Uh, and it was set to the well, the patent bar exam. Once you take the, course, the, the state bar exam. That's that's the ethics exam. One day, two days worth of law exams. I'm I'm exhausted with the law exams. Just thinking about them. So. Um, I've done a lot of testing. I have sometimes scored very well, sometimes not so much. I truly don't remember my LSAT score. It was not enough to get into Harvard, I promise you. So, (laughs) so, you know, maybe those, because I'm not disqualified necessarily if I don't reach the, seriously, I don't remember the, the highest score anymore, but I don't, I'm not disqualified for not reaching that. I'm at another place where uh, some other schools, I'll be acceptable to some other school. Maybe I'm disappointed that I don't get into school that I want to get into and I have my disappointments in life. Um, but it, it, it worked out. I wasn't not able to get into the law because I didn't score the very highest, right? So I, I think so far, the some of these testing um, requirements might be quite legit. I, I don't want to just be able to hold out a shingle and say I'm a doctor, right, because I, I, I really do need to have the, I don't know if it's the smart so much, I think it's just the discipline and the, the, the subject matter knowledge and the information to go and do that practice. So it, that's different than a system that doesn't allow you to um, achieve at all or, 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 or creates, as mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. had mentioned, a facade that creates bakers, right? We don't want that system, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But there's this balance between individual meritocracy and 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 a level playing field we should all have a level playing field and these mm-hmm. immutable characteristics that we spend so much time distinguishing each other over I, I look forward to the day where we can continue to work through and past that where we really are humans working with humans mm-hmm. um, so.
1: but it's uh, not to belabor this too much but it's like you know i think the meritocracy aspect like if, if we all just showed up and wrote the gre Like that would be one thing. Right. But it's like another question of like the arms race and the arms race that maybe doesn't do anything productive. And like, you know, you mentioned Aaron, you mentioned sports. I think like the better parallel would be, um, yeah, in a sense, you know, whatever sports performance, it is a bit of a zero sum game, but I mean, it is also an advancement in training because every time someone manages to shave off 0.1 of a second doing whatever, That's one thing. But then when you get into the doping arms race, it's another situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's that if one athlete dopes, then all of a sudden everyone else has to dope. And then we're in this kind of an arms race that's like basically just manipulating the human system. And then that's not really the point of it anymore. And I think like, I'm not trying to say, okay, maybe someone should be rewarded for their ability to study for a standardized test, but it's more like the arms race aspect of it that we end up doing something collectively that's not to all of our benefit. You know,
3: yeah, well, I think the perfect example of that, unfortunately, is lobbying. Um, You know, companies spend just massive, massive amounts to get the law tilted, you know, in their favor rather than improving their product or service. You know, it is not creating new value. It's just trying to, you know, tilt things in their favor. Um, That's a hard one to unwind. Uh, it's like uh, asking turkeys to vote for Thanksgiving. But that is, unfortunately, an example of, oh, think what could be done with all those funds, you know, if we actually innovated, you know, and, and competed rather than lobby. Sorry, Terry, that you like that.
1: that I love to, man, the turkeys, that was just too good.
3: <laughs> yeah, I wish that's not original to me. I think uh, Luigi Zingales is, is an economist, but I do love that line.
1: So. I'm going to reuse that for sure. <laughs>
2: I, I, I wanna actually uh, uh, tug on something specific within the, the company section of uh, the third section of the book, okay? It, it seems like there's this idea, this conception of enough that we've talked about a couple of times here uh, for the individual, right? You, you apply that same conception of enough to a company and that might work if it's, you know, if it's a sole proprietorship or a partnership um, or a small corporation with very well-known you know shareholders but how does that work when it's Microsoft and the shareholders are just everywhere and the CEO basically does what they want to do and, and it's this concept of enough in you know growth enough reach enough revenue enough profit how, how does that apply to a multinational conglomerate the point of which is growth
3: yeah it's uh, a great question um... and and what is the purpose of a corporation right you know milton friedman has his answer um and we don't have to chase all the legal trails but that you know that's not like codified in law what milton friedman said it's just common practice it's very possible that shareholders could say hey we want our company to accomplish you know certain ends financial or non-financial um There've been, you know, signs of hope here recently. You may have read some news like Exxon Mobil Corporation. They got new people on the board, um, you know, who are at least going to let the shareholders vote on proposed reports on an advisory basis about environmental impacts. This is what shareholder proposals look like these days. Um, but um, I mean, that's a huge company. But there was enough of a concerted effort from the distributed owners of shareholders. To say, hey, we. We want this company that we do in fact own to at least think about these things. Um, It's harder when ownership is that distributed, but uh, it is possible that those things can happen. This
0: might be heresy, um, Jonathan, but it it is uh, endless growth is a fallacy. It's either, it's been said, if you think endless growth is a possibility, you're either an economist or a madman. And, and, and it's, you know, yeah, we, we want growth for sure, but just like, I don't want to just do nothing but eat all day long and become so incapacitated by the extra weight that I can't function. Right. It's just maybe it's too rough of an analogy, but we don't have to just continually grow for the sake of growth. Um, at, At some point there are limits and then we've seen it through history where the limits usually start to fracture from within, right? And things just break apart. So I, I think we can come to an understanding that we can have enough even in the largest of corporations. Uh, to, our, to our illustration and Aaron's point earlier, we suggested uh, we offer a six-month um, uh, uh, reserves, right? Uh, capital reserves. Should So even if you lost 50% of all revenue, you could still last an entire year with a 50% of reserves in place. And I, I think for the most part, COVID didn't even take us out that long, right? We, yes, the world did stop. We we absolutely had to figure out what to happen. But for those people who had reserves of six months or so, they 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 survived, you know, for uh, anecdotally from what I have understood and what I see. Um, some have taken a little bit longer, but you don't need these enormous numbers and amounts of money that we think we need. It It, it is a, a great deal, you know, being unfettered, right? So I, I don't want to throw the word greed at anybody, uh, and I'm not, but it's just this idea of having unfettered growth uh, or growth for the sake of growth. I think is probably unhealthy for us, and we see it in metrics that we don't necessarily measure, but I just got off a committee call uh, with the State Bar of Georgia, where I'm a member of the Attorney Wellness Committee, and we are have a strong effort to help our 50,000 members in the state of Georgia to step back from substance abuse of all kinds. We've had a number of suicides in the state uh, bar Association that's one of the things that aren't being measured is the wellness or well-being of of the people in the marketplace, whether that's memberships in an organization or the consumer. You know, how are economics affecting these kinds of things? And and, and the pressures of our profession affect us in ways that um, um, growth that we're all searching for uh, hurts. Hopefully I said that Clearly enough, but more concisely. But 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 we've we've got to we've got to measure ourselves. It's um, yeah. Broadly, there ourselves
3: are too. there are different kinds of corporations too. Um, you know, there are there's the scale and sell as you said, Jonathan. You know, there's a place for that venture capital and startups. There are also corporations who you know they want to pay a great dividend and they want to pay it very reliably, very consistently and their investors want them to pay it very reliably you know they're not going to grow 30 percent a year and they don't want to that's not even what they desire to do at this point in their company's life cycle and so you know just knowing that there are different kinds of corporations there can be different phases in a corporate life cycle and different investors for those different phases is all a part of where just yeah you know, the whole view is important um, somebody should be trying to grow uh, but not everybody <laughs> some people need to make sure those dividends are getting paid you know and and are very consistent and reliable for people that depend on them
2: I, I think we have i think we have time for like one one more thing and I, and i wanted to i wanted to give you guys a chance to do something because I noticed throughout the book you're saying hey these are some ideas you know email us to you know communicate with us tell, give us other ideas that you think w- w- would be valuable here I'm just curious how much feedback you've received how many emails have you gotten have you you know, uh, I know you talk about the wealth tax that people talked about other forms of taxation that would work. I know that you talk about some other things that have people given you other ideas. Um, uh, I, I have a couple, we have a couple, but I, I want to hear what you've heard. Uh, I,
0: I have an ongoing conversation with two or three people who have, locally who have read the book and, and are engaged. They are big fans of the first part and the second part, and then having a little bit more trouble with the third part. Uh, because that is where the rubber meets the road and and so we're we're we'll have dialogue about that we'll we'll discuss um, so so emails that have come in have been d- interesting um we'll, we'll we'll make clear if this is the opportunity to do this no we're not socialists no we're not communists uh, we're not christian socialists whatever that is i'm not sure but but we, you know we're capitalists but we just want to see the system done better um, the, the um, uh, uh, lobbying has taken a couple of comments like, like some people thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I don't need to spend my money on lobbying. Maybe I need to spend my money in, in doing things where I don't need to convince politicians that I'm doing the right thing because it's self-evident I'm doing the right thing. Uh, we had an interesting email the other day, uh, which is now uh, uh, he posted as a review. And uh, he, he, I appreciate that he was very transparent and said, this is a difficult book because it is uh, certainly got him thinking, and he agrees the conversation needs to start somewhere. He was having a little trouble seeing how we can take it to the you know, ultimate steps. But it, as he said, it's got to start somewhere, we, and, and, and we can get some good traction here so far. But, but, but way back to our original thought of mutuality, yeah, we, we're in this world together. We would like other people's ideas and input. So what, what are some of yours?
2: so we we've had a couple guests on recently um uh, one was I don't know if you know Guy Standing he's uh he's a huge proponent of and he's tested it and he's an economist he's tested basic income in lots of places and mm-hmm. as as we've seen as we've just discussed here corporations get bigger and ownership get more distributed a way to sort of support the people that aren't employed by those purposes uh, corporations don't have the same kind of incomes would be this He would be upset with me if I said universal basic income, but this idea of a basic income, um, I think is a great idea. I think it's something we ultimately will have to employ because things are getting more and more and more and more unequal.
1: Or a sovereign wealth fund also, you know, something along the lines of Norway, let's say, who, you know, was able to do that with their uh, gas, oil and gas reserves, right? But like, we have this, um, again, referring to Guy Standing, like we have this kind of a commons, right? As a society, like be it, you know, again, my references will be Canadian, but like we have, you know, resources, like we have water resources, we have electricity, we have all these kind of things that belong to all of us. And, you know, we could create a sovereign wealth fund that ultimately we all, as citizens of the country participate in and that that becomes a way of, um, you know, giving people access to this, uh, the ownership, right? The benefits of owning a stake in something as opposed to, you know, just being a random citizen who sees their share of the commons diminish every year.
3: Yeah, those are intriguing ideas. I mean, the Norwegian sovereign wealth fund is the one that's done well. So it's the one that you would want to <laughs> to model on to pursue that idea. Um, Alaska's
2: done well. really sovereign but it's a state wealth fund alaska
3: that's a similar idea yeah Yeah.
2: Um, i've uh i had a i had a i had a a fellow uh, student when i was at college who was an alaskan citizen and she was in college and she got this check every year and we're like what 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 is this like two thousand dollars out of nowhere it's like that's pretty cool i had to work (laughs) 40 hours a week in college She had this check just for being a citizen it was pretty awesome
0: i'm attracted to the idea terry just speaking personally but because none of us had anything to do with the creation of that water the timber the minerals or anything else again we're not again but we step into a ready-made world we did not create any of this it is the divine creation that is here we're able to take a part of it so what gives me right or my ancestors are right to you know lay out four corners and say this is mine right yes i get it it was the bigger gun um but but we can step we should step back from that and we should say okay this is here this was this is ours this is uniformly ours how do we share it? again because i did not I, I was not here to create none of us were to, to create that that silver or that gold or, or that if i that's different than maybe maybe that's different if i've created a law firm and i'm you know risked and i should get my percentage of the profits out of that uh, that's maybe the little thing I've created. Again, other people are helping me do it, but I'm attracted to that sovereign wealth fund idea.
2: I noticed neither one of you touched basic income. Oh, I might, I might have hit a third. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's so much to cover. We've just started. I know. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not an unattractive idea. What if that were one of the metrics by which corporations? Counted their numbers, right? These are how many families we've helped out of, either stay out of poverty or, or uh, you know, whatever, uh, however that measure wants to go. But yeah, that could be a, that could be a something to do with their money.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Operations, or 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 for even societies as a whole. Um, I guess I'm thinking about those two things together. You know, a sovereign wealth fund done well that would support a basic income. Maybe that's where you're going with that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah
3: you know, yeah, yeah, it's a really intriguing way to look at a bigger picture, right, and and in the cases we've named here Norway oil and gas money, Alaska oil and gas money out of a a crisis, right, but um, seeing ahead, right, hey, this won't last forever, so what's going to make it valuable, you know, for for a long time to come is is certainly a partnership way to think, so yeah, I'm intrigued by those ideas.
2: And there's there's so many more, uh, you know, and, and we just we're out of we're out of time today. Uh, but this has been a wonderful conversation, Aaron Paul. Thank you for coming on. Um, I really appreciate your 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 presence and your answering some some questions and actually disagreeing some. I, I think that's positive.
0: It, it is. We are we are friendly adversaries. <laughs>